was in your bulletin. And what he read was actually the canticle that we said responsively. Um, slightly different version, but that was Canticle 15, or the Song of Mary, or the Magnificat. It's important to look at that, and he read it so that we would see it as a piece with the gospel. It is the extension of that gospel reading. And Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth in a different way from the other gospels, a few significant ways, one of which is the Magnificat. But the song is placed in the center of this beautiful parallel story that Luke tells about the lives of John the Baptist and Jesus and their mothers, Elizabeth and Mary, a story we don't hear elsewhere. We learn in Luke chapter 1 that John is the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, very good and faithful people. Their great sadness and disappointment in their life was that they never had children for whatever reason, Elizabeth was never able to conceive, and no matter how much they prayed to God, it never happened for them. By the time we meet them in the first chapter of Luke, they are very old. One day, an angel, Gabriel, came to Zechariah and told him not to be afraid because his prayers would be answered, and Elizabeth would conceive a son, and they would call him John. Zechariah couldn't believe this. How is this possible? And the angel, a little annoyed, a little upset that Zechariah didn't believe him, said that he wouldn't be able to speak until the babe was born because he doubted him. The Zechariah and Elizabeth stories clearly patterned after Abraham and Sarah in Genesis. But interestingly, in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, it is the man who is chastised by the heavenly messenger. In Genesis, that role is played by Sarah, who faces many hardships. Zechariah is struck silent while his wife, Elizabeth, becomes pregnant as promised, accepts this as a gift and miracle from God, and becomes the center of their story, at least until John is born. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the same angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth to take a message to Mary. And we all know this story pretty well, right? He told her that she would become pregnant and have a son who she would name Jesus, and he would be a great leader. She's confused and, confused and asks Gabriel, how can this be? Gabriel responds saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. There is something in this part of the passage that makes me uncomfortable. And I think it's important to talk about or to, to, to look at, to understand. First, the idea that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and overshadow her as a feeling of force, a violation. That may be shocking to say, but that is how it strikes me as a woman. The truth is, Mary has no choice. This is important. If she had, I can't imagine bearing a child at her young age, unmarried, without any resources, and not at all certain that Joseph, her fiancé, would stand by her. Would I can't imagine, given all of that, that that would be the choice she would have made. In fact, at that time, if an unwed teenage peasant girl was found pregnant, 
It usually resulted in harsh punishment from the community, perhaps even being stoned to death as an adulteress, not a fate Mary would have chosen. God chose Mary. And so Mary, being obedient, perhaps, or in awe, or simply accepting her fate, says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. These words never strike me as words of faith, but more as words of resignation, acceptance, and in their own way, strength. For someone said after the 8 o'clock sermon, perhaps this is that moment of transformation, perhaps that moment of consent. She understands what is being asked of her. Before the angel Gabriel left, he told Mary that her relative Elizabeth had conceived a son in her old age and was in her sixth month. And Gabriel tells Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And this is where we enter the story today. Mary, a little afraid, overwhelmed, maybe, maybe a little excited or hopeful. Honestly, the range of emotions that most of us probably cycle through when we first discover a pregnancy. She went quickly to the hill country to visit her cousin Elizabeth, another pregnant woman, another miraculously pregnant woman, who could hopefully relate to Mary and provide some support. And she needed that, the love and support of another woman who could relate to her unusual circumstances, celebrate with her, and give her solace and advice. As Mary entered the house, Elizabeth felt the babe in her womb leap, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth offers Mary a triple blessing upon her womanhood. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And so these two women, vulnerable and alone, provide blessing and strength to one another. This is their story. Interestingly, Zechariah, who's been silenced, and Joseph is nowhere to be seen in this story. So Elizabeth and Mary are front and center, owning the narrative and finding their voices and their power. Elizabeth as a quiet presence, offering a blessing and just being there. And Mary is a force of, of feminine strength, and Mary knows it, she feels it deeply, and she begins to speak in what we call the Magnificat or the Song of Mary. This is the single longest passage attributed to a woman in the New Testament. And the words are powerful, and the fact that they are spoken by a woman is extraordinary. The narrative of these vulnerable, powerless women is profound in a deeply patriarchal society in a tradition that was and is dominated by male narratives. We should not downplay how subversive this female-gendered narrative was in the patriarchal, patriarchal world of antiquity, or for that matter, today. The Magnificat is a courageous poem spoken by a young woman coming into her power. Mary's song flows 
unpremeditated from her heart. Her words are a spontaneous response to the news of her unexpected pregnancy and the blessings bestowed on her by Elizabeth. But we shouldn't romanticize this moment. Carolyn Sharp, an Episcopal priest and a professor at Yale, cautions us not to envision Mary as the radiant woman peacefully composing the Magnificat. Instead, see her as a girl who sings defiantly to her God through tears, fists clenched against an unknown future. When we do this, Mary's courageous song of praise becomes a radical resource for those seeking to honor the holy amid the suffering and conflicts of real life. This is Mary's power. Mary's song is both personal and political. The first part of the song focuses on Mary as she moves from acceptance into power. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She continues overwhelmed at the goodness of God to look upon a humble girl like her. The choice of Mary is a foreshadowing of what God is doing for the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden in the world. And Mary understands that. She has been recognized, seen, known, and she is astonished. It is extraordinary that God works through the least of us. Those unnoticed by all the important people who are focused on all the other important people, the Caesars and Pilots, the Herods and the high priests of the world. This is a critical, pivotal aspect of the Jesus story that is central from the very beginning. So pay attention. History is not transformed at the center, but at the margins. And in this story, by and among poor women. You see, God entered into the world on the margins because it is the only way that Jesus could really become who he was meant to be. The second part of the Magnificat is about God ushering in the kingdom, demonstrating extraordinary strength, which is ironic and profound given who he has chosen to literally birth this new reality. And in that context, Mary's words resonate. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. In this song, Mary prophesies the revolutionary nature of the change that is coming. She understands that something profound is happening. She understands that through her and her child, God will change the course of human history. And while she may obediently accept what is happening to her as though she had a choice, she does not sit back docilely, but prophecies the truth with great joy and gratitude, courage, and power. She speaks of God coming into the world and turning the world upside down. Her words foretell the words that will be spoken by Jesus some 30 years later. As he embodies his ministry, the mighty will be cast down and the lowly lifted up. The hungry will be filled and the rich will be turned away. God will show mercy. Mary comes across less like a scared, 
an obedient young girl and more like a revolutionary intent on reorienting unjust systems. And throughout history, poor and oppressed people have identified with Mary through this song. A young woman singing a song about toppling rulers from their thrones. And these powerful words have been embraced by the disenfranchised and people living at the margins for centuries. People who are downtrodden and oppressed have been inspired to believe that God can and will bring liberation from their pain. In this song, Mary holds together the grittiness of life on the margins with the resilient hope of those who trust in God, just as Jesus will. Mary's courageous song of praise is a radical resource for those seeking the holy amidst the suffering and conflicts of this life. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian who was executed by the Nazis, called the Magnificat the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. People on the margins love this radical Mary, and they turn to this glorious song for inspiration and hope, so much so that the Magnificat has been viewed as dangerous by people in power. Some countries, India, Guatemala, Argentina, have banned the Magnificat from being recited in liturgy or in the public at different times in their histories, all from the mouth of a poor young girl, a poor first-century Galilean peasant girl living in occupied territory, struggling for survival and dignity, raised in the Jewish faith, who steps bravely into this biblical portrait of Mary, mother, nurturer, and singer of a song of justice. Who else could possibly mother the Messiah? Not someone blessed with a groaning table full of food and a peaceful life, not a woman of elite, an, an elite woman of influence. For Jesus to become the man he must become, he required a mother like Mary. And so does the world. So do I. And so do you. Mary, mother of God, prophet and truth teller, icon of motherhood, powerful, nurturing, strong and humble, vulnerable and loving and honest. The world needs a mother like Mary. Amen. <laughs>